Welcome back to the Gentle Catholic Parenting Podcast. I'm Kim Cameron Smith, and on this show, I explore gentle, positive principles of parenting through the lens of our Catholic faith. Today, I'm going to be addressing a common problem, and that is sleep issues in older kids. So many parenting writers and parenting experts, they talk about um, how parents can help infants and toddlers get into good sleep habits and how to, you know, tips for when to put your child to bed and regulating an infant sleep and such because infants and toddlers, their irregular sleep patterns, it impacts parents so much. And parents deal with sleep deprivation and it is really um one of the topics that it that that's always on the mind of the parent of an, of an infant and toddler the doctor the pediatrician asks about it as soon as you walk into their office everyone is thinking about this with with little ones but what about older kids many of us with older kids know that even older kids will struggle at bedtime sometimes. And why is this and what can we do about it? So on this show, I'm gonna talk about, about that. You know, we, we wonder why, you know, our older kids, sometimes they're sleeping fine and then suddenly they seem like they're not tired anymore at bedtime or they um, start seeming agitated at bedtime and we don't really know why and so we're not really we have all this advice for the infants and toddlers but we're not really sure what to do about the older kids so let's talk about that how can we help these older kids just let go of the day and fall asleep so i think if we first identify the real problem because usually the problem isn't that they're really thirsty and they need that 10th glass of water or they really love your stories and they need the 15th story usually there's some more clear well it's less clear but it's more significant more relevant the underlying problem because if we understand the problem we'll be able to identify the best remedy often we're grappling with three related problems at bedtime that create our child's resistance to just accepting rest. And I'm going to boil them down to separation, agitation, and limitation. Separation, agitation, and limitation. And the limitations are our limitations. So let's talk about the first issue, separation. All humans long for personal connection. It's just how we are wired. It just reflects God in us. In the Garden of Eden, God called to Adam, Adam, where are you? Right? Because God wants us to draw close to him. So he created us with this homing beacon. We long for home with others and with God. God is our true home, but on earth, we long to feel at home with others. So what does this have to do with kids in bedtime? Well, related to this homing beacon, one of our most primal human fears is separation. It is separation, separation from the people we love. And for children, in particular, they have a um, fear of separation from those who are responsible for keeping them safe. These are their attachment figures, so their parents or other adults who are responsible for them. Just think about how in a crisis, 
humans, they flock together for safety. We don't immediately start looking for food or shelter. What do we do? We, boom, we, we come together and we want to be together because we do that for safety. So when we parents are turning out the lights after tucking our children into bed, after their story, and we got them their one glass of water, for us, we imagine our children drifting off to a peaceful sleep after having loving connection with us. And most of the time, that's true. And with most children, that is true. But sometimes, and with some children, they are facing the night alone. They see this the, the, the night as, as this huge, overwhelming separation, and it feels too much for them, even if in reality they could handle it or there's nothing they need to worry about. They don't know how to manage it. They don't know they can manage it. And they're not even aware sometimes that that is the root of their problem, that they're fearing separation from us. And that is where we come in. We can bridge the separation. We can bridge it so our child feels held by us and they can hold on to us until morning. I talked about this bridging in the show I did, I did a series on family routines and rituals. And in one of those shows, I talked about how rituals can make bedtime easier. And in that, and I'll link to that show in the show notes for this show. And I talked about this idea of bridging in that show. Bridging is just pointing to the next point of connection with your child. I'm going to the store, I'll see you in 30 minutes. So instead of saying, I'm going to the store, bye, you, we do this intuitively. Parents do this without even, you do this all the time. I'm going to the store, I'll be back in 30 minutes. So the child knows you're coming back in 30 minutes. I'm leaving for work now, I'm gonna see you at five tonight. Maybe we can, you know, make dinner together. So you're pointing to the next point of connection. We, we, we do this in other contexts, but we can do it at bedtime too. So here are some practical tips. And again, these are um, some of these I've talked about in that other show, but I'm just going to um, reframe them and represent them here. So one of the, things you can do is kind of create a mental timer for your child. You don't need a literal timer. But um, in the early days when you're trying to help your child bridge the night, try helping her hold on to you for just 10 or 15 minutes at a time. Make it a little easier. This is actually a really good tip if you've just transitioned your child to the, a big a big boy or a big girl bed. They've been sleeping in bed with you and your spouse and now you, you're putting them in their own bed. So this is a really good tip for kids when they're just getting used to sleeping on their own. And so what you do is you, it's so simple, and you may do this already, just tell your child you're gonna let her rest, but you'll be back in 15 minutes or 10 minutes or whatever you decide is the correct, the best time, and then show up be reliable and really come back 15 minutes later. So I do this with my youngest daughter who is 10, but she still goes through phases where she just really has a hard time letting go of the day. And so she'll be in her bed and I'll say, 
you know, will say her prayers and she's had story with dad already. My husband does the bedtime story every night and then we say prayers together. And so I don't say, well, good night, see you tomorrow. If she's going through one of these phases, I'll say, I, all right, well, let me tuck you in. Here's your stuffed animal. I'll be back and I'm going to come back and check on you in 10 minutes. And then when I come back, I just poke my head in. I don't wake her up. I just poke my head in so that if she is awake, she knows that I, I did come in. So sometimes the child will ask for a glass of water when you come back in or they'll ask for another story and know that it's okay to say no. It is okay to say no, unless you decide that that is what is needed, that she's it's hot and she probably needs a glass of water. But just take the lead and say, no, but I'll be, you know, I'll be back in 15 minutes or 10 minutes to check on you. The other way you can bridge is to have a plan for what you're going to do the next morning. So this can be um, something that you do every morning. Uh, so instead, what you're doing, instead of pushing your child's face into the separation, hey, you know, you've had your story, you know, don't come out of the room, it's time for bed, you're pointing her to the next point of contact with you in a warm and inviting way. So you can tell your child, Oh, I can't wait to have pancakes with you in the morning. You know, should we should we have uh, chopped strawberries on our pancakes? Or, you know, in the morning, let's look at your dinosaur encyclopedia together. Or whatever it is that you're planning to do the next morning. In a class that I took, a mom shared that her daughter and she would put a storybook to bed in the bed with her child, next to the child. And then every morning they would wake the book up and they would read the book together. So one of this mom's bridging rituals with her child was to put the book to bed and then she would say, oh, I can't wait to wake the book up in the morning. And that's pointing the child to that next point of contact and they had this reliable ritual. I think it's such a beautiful, um, beautiful idea. Many traditional cultures like like um, Provence and small villages, they have these sort of bridging rituals naturally in their culture. In, in Provence, adults set the table for breakfast with their children at night. And so it is just a natural thing they do together and it helps the child hold on until morning. I don't even, they, they don't likely know they're doing they're doing that for their child but it is these natural type of bridging rituals that we can introduce into our home and many of our faith practices are rituals that help us hold on to christ until we see him again they give us courage so it's something that's in christian culture these bridging rituals and we can use these um this impulse that we have with our children at bedtime so there are many ideas like this Okay, so you can come up with your own, but the, the, the big point is that you want to point your child to the next point of contact rather than forcing the separation on her in a jarring way, okay? The second problem we're often facing at bedtime that we may not be aware of is our child's agitation. 
some kids always have trouble calming down at bedtime. They're just super wired all the time. At other times, kids generally, they settle down to bed well when they've got, they, they have um, reliable routines that they do at bedtime. They just settle down, but you'll notice at certain times they seem... Oh, they're just agitated and they won't settle down and they keep calling you back and sometimes you just don't really know why. Oftentimes it's just pent up physical energy like they they just need to work off some physical energy but other times it's actually emotions that are sort of stuck like emotions, emotional stirrings that never came to the surface during the, the day and our child um can't see them the emotions are just pushed down for some reason so when a child is scared or angry but he isn't aware of it because he isn't allowing himself to look at it that alarm or frustration it can boil over and explode at bedtime when the separation threat is added to that emotional mix so it, the real alarm may not be about the separation. It may be about some, like he's afraid about school starting or he had um, a falling out with a friend. It may be something he's not really um, aware of consciously, but it's stirring in him. And the separation just pushes him over the edge. And so it all comes out, it explodes, and, um, and there you are. Right, so some kids become really clingy or they lash out at you or they, they, have, they want that one more glass of water, not because they're thirsty, but because they're just trying to keep you close for a bit, a little bit longer. Okay, so what we can do is we can make space for these emotions in many ways. We can make space for those emotions 24 hours a day, always welcoming emotions. And I've talked about this before on the show. I've done blog articles about this, just making space and accepting our child's emotions, even if they seem unfounded or irrational to us, is one of the ways to allow those emotions to move so you can deal with them and help your child get through them. One of the best things you can do at bedtime to invite these emotional, uh, to invite emotional expression is through your prayer rituals. So we do, we, we pray with our child. Obviously, the most important reason is we are mentoring and leading our child in developing her relationship with God and getting into the habit of just connecting with God and learning what that looks like. But the cool thing is when you have that habit, your child has a natural inclination to bring her petitions and her fears and these little things she gets into the habit of bringing them to god with you and it creates a kind of natural context for you to invite the expression we are kids first spiritual directors and we're giving our children a great gift when we you know, through our prayer rituals with them, we can point them to God as their greatest source of comfort and safety. You are initially your child's greatest source of comfort and safety, but eventually our child's attachment to us, it 
it um, it transfers and includes attachment to God, and indeed, eventually, God can be will should become their primary attachment figure. Our child's attachments should re be replaced not by peers. Our our child's attachment to us should be replaced eventually not by her peers, but by her growing sense of herself and her relationship with God. So God is the ultimate attachment figure in our child's life. We're leading our child to that. So anyway, so sometimes during, you know, our prayer rituals and our talk rituals, these stuck emotions just sort of bubble up. But you know what? Sometimes they, our kids won't talk about it. But I really think that sometimes the emotions still move beneath the surface and they will still benefit from that connection and they will still benefit from that invitation to draw closer to us as we approach God together. And even when your kids don't have much to say, often you know that there is something wrong. And this is one of the gifts of being a parent is that often we know something's wrong, even if our child isn't. This is called limbic resonance. I've been reading about this in the book by Thomas Lewis, A General Theory of Love, limbic resonance. So basically, when we're attuned to our children, and all humans do this, not just parents and children, but for our purposes, when we're attuned to our children, we can actually read emotions in our kids, even if, if they're unconscious of the emotions. This is part of being a strong alpha parent, being that strong leader parent. We take responsibility for our children and we take responsibility for our children's emotions when they're, it's too big for them. We invite them to depend on us when something is too big for them. Okay, so these are all ways we help our children with that agitation, that stuck agitation. Another really good idea is a few hours for bed, before bed, we can provide outlets for this emotional energy. Now you may be thinking, what? Bedtime, it's time to calm down. I need to calm my child down. They're running around like maniacs at bedtime. But I'm talking about like a few hours beforehand, you make room. First of all, if your child it does have a lot of um, just physical energy, they have a hard time calming down um, because they have a lot of like, oh, they just need to run around or something. This tip helps with that too. But a few hours before bed, you provide Jacques Panskep called these play sanctuaries. I love that term, play sanctuaries. And this is just parents making it okay for kids just to play, have make-believe, sing, draw, dance, whatever it is that helps them come to emotional rest. So for the child that has a lot of physical energy and emotional energy that seems to explode out physically, those play sanctuaries should be physical, right? So you can go on bike rides with your child, jump on trampolines, wrestle, you know, not at bedtime, but a few hours before bedtime. Other kids need different things. They need more contemplative activities. They want, you can draw with them or provide a space where they can dance. Whatever it is that your child needs that helps them come to emotional rest. We, as the parent, take the lead and we provide the sanctuary. We don't rely on our kids to find it. We create the invitation.
Okay, so, so far we have talked about um, separation as a problem at bedtime, and we have talked about agitation as a problem at bedtime. And the tips I've offered for responding to those problems, you know, I can't give you a, a an extensive tip list and a short podcast, but those tips should get you started. The third problem we're often facing at bedtime is limitations, not our child's limitations, our limitations. Sometimes our own limitations are getting in the way at bedtime. Sometimes our expectations are unrealistic. We imagine that our child should be in bed at eight and they should have lights out, shades down, and it should all go sl go smoothly. And so we have this image and we feel like, some, like what is wrong with this child? Why can't she just get with the program? And so we become frustrated and when we become too frustrated, our child senses it. I wanna tell you the story about my oldest son, who's now an adult, but when he was, he must've been about eight because he wasn't little anymore. And um, I believe I had just had my third child and my husband was traveling. And um, my husband was definitely traveling and I think my third child was um, an, either an infant or a toddler. So, you know, I was running on limited resources, probably sleep deprived. And I remember um, I had put all three children to bed and my husband had been gone for a couple of days. I was really tired and I was looking forward to reading my book, having my, my warm glass of tea, and then pitter patter, pitter patter, I hear somebody coming and I could feel my frustration. I was just so tired and I needed a break. And it was Aiden, my oldest. And as you know, if you have, if your oldest right now is about eight or nine and you have an infant, the eight or nine year old, they seem giant. <laughs> and, but if you're younger, like my youngest is now 10 and she still feels small to me. So Aiden at seven or eight seemed big. And I'm like, what, what's the problem with this? I, I was very irritable. And he said, can I have one more hug? And I said, no, go back to bed. And he just, his shoulders slumped and he went back to bed. To this day, I, in my pit of my stomach, I feel terrible about that fail. That was a huge mom fail. It was a perfect storm because I was exhausted and he had increased anxiety because my husband was traveling. We had had a baby, like he was not, um, usually he was a really good sleeper, but he was not that night. And so and I did not have awareness about this, that he just needed more reassurance. He needed bridging, but I was um, depleted. So I think we need to be flexible with our own expectations so we don't try to shove our kids into them. Sometimes our expectations are reasonable, but maybe on a particular night they aren't. 
And on that night, they were not reasonable for Aiden. It was not what Aiden needed. Sometimes our kids do need a strong lead. And we need to say, no, no, let, here's your, I mean, A, I should have given the child a hug. That, 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 that will haunt me, that I didn't give him a hug. I just shooed him back to bed. But sometimes our emotional resources just aren't there. We are exhausted, we're drained. And so we rush our kids through bedtime and then our kids sense it and they react. And I'm sure that is what happened with Aiden that night. They, they, they cling tighter because they feel, um, they feel the separation too deeply. It is the perfect storm. And so what do we do about this? What can we, how can we handle this? So I think just being aware of that dynamic is the beginning of change. Like I didn't, I was completely clueless. I knew about infant sleep, but I never thought about what might be causing Aiden to have his, have sleep disruption during that time. And um, if you aren't aware of it, you can't, you just kind of, react. You aren't able to respond with awareness and intentionality. Okay, so if we aren't aware how our fatigue at bedtime can lower our inhibitions, we can also find ourselves caught off guard, we'll yell, we'll push back like I did that night, right? So I think we need to hold on to our mixed feelings. We need to try to hold on to them. What do I mean by that? When we're in a good place, we adults, we temper our own anger and frustration with our feelings of care for our kids. So we get angry and frustrated with our children, but because we're mature, we can have two emotions at one time. We can be frustrated, but we can also care. And the caring um, feelings just temper that impulse to react. But when we are depleted, tired, we've had a long day, the spouse is traveling, we have a hard time holding on to the soft feelings. We have a hard time finding our mixed feelings. And so sometimes we just have, we, we white knuckle through it and we bite our tongue. You know, sometimes we just have to pray for grace. Mary, mother of God, help me. But we can also find practical things we can do to make room for this tension, for our own emotional um, limitations. We can find ways to fill up the tank a little bit so we have more to give at bedtime. So maybe we need a nap in the middle of the day. And so if your husband or spouse is traveling, how do you do that? Well, everyone has to take a nap. Everyone has to have a quiet time, even if the kids are older and they don't nap anymore. Have a quiet time. You, you know, have a rest with the babies or toddlers so you can refuel a little bit. Or maybe earlier in the evening, um, you know, you may need a chat with a friend or your spouse. Um, to kind of vent a little bit so those your own feelings have space to move a little bit or maybe you like to do other things maybe gardening or writing you need play sanctuaries as well you need the space to sort of release a little bit okay and then at bedtime maybe you'll have a little more to give but maybe not and this is part of, you, you may not, you may be completely done. 
And so there may be a rupture like I had with Aiden. Please know that these things happen. No parent is perfect. And every one of us, we have these moments when we do the forehead slap later and think, oh, I could have handled that a lot better. It is okay. You and your child, you find your way through the maze together. And sometimes you hit a wall. Just gather your child again and keep going. Don't beat yourself up too much. You're learning about yourself through all of this. Okay, all parenting teaches us as much about ourselves as, as you know, it does about our children, okay? So what is the big picture here? Let me pull back. Just remember, if I could leave you with one thought, very rarely when our kids are struggling to settle down to sleep at night, very rarely is the problem that our kids are bad. Usually we are looking at a maturity issue. Usually our kids just need us to be the grown-ups so they can feel safe in our care. If our children are too alarmed, they will not come to rest emotionally, so their bodies will re resist coming to rest physically. Let me say that again. If our children are too alarmed, they will not come to rest emotionally, so their bodies will resist coming to rest physically. We really can't control our children going to sleep. You cannot control your child going to sleep. Our frustration with our kids at bedtime reveals that truth, that limitation that we have. We are really not in control, but we can yield control to God, asking to God to give us what we need to make it through some of these difficult moments with our kids. God usually has a lesson to teach us. He is leading and parenting us as we are leading and parenting our kids. So in these difficult moments, what is it that we need to learn so we can lead our child? That's it for today. You can read show notes for this podcast on my website, intentionalcatholicparenting.com. There you'll find articles, links to research on parenting and child development. You'll also find links to connect with me on social media, and I love to hear from you, so please reach out. Pray for me as I will for you. God bless you. Have a great day.